Hi, and welcome to a Novel Ending Podcast. We're your hosts, Joanna and Kat. We chat about all things revisions, the fun stuff, the not-so-fun stuff, and the seriously, I've written like 10 novels now, why doesn't this get any easier stuff? Join us while we share our enthusiasm and tips to help you tackle your next draft before it tackles you. So we have a very special bonus episode for you today where we are going to be talking about fiction books we would recommend you read for craft. So instead of the how to write this book, like these are actual fiction books that we think have really good craft elements that you could learn from. But first we have our question of the day. If you could only read one genre of book for the rest of your life, which would you choose? Cookbooks. No, I'm just kidding. Worst answer ever. Uh, it would probably be fantasy for me. What about for you? We don't have to pick an age group. We can just say straight up. Well, see, that makes it even harder. I know. I know. Because five years ago, I would have said YA fantasy, and now I'm kind of a little YA fantasy. Well, out, this so. is this is the problem being an author, right? Is you kind of have to pick the book that is in the genre you want to write. So yeah. that would mean I would have to say fantasy as well. Mm-hmm. That hurts a little bit, though. And I actually don't love, I mean, I read a lot of different genres and age groups, but I think I could easily narrow it down to two if I had to. But I do think part of my brain wants some fantasy, but then I need to like counteract that with some, you know, like women's fiction or not literary fiction, but. Yeah. Know. And I've been reading a ton of just nonfiction right. recently. Yeah. That counts. I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'd be sad to mm-hmm. not to read those. Right. Yeah. This is- Tough question, but yeah. All right. So first, let's talk about world building. Yeah. So books that I would recommend to read for world building. First would be any book by Lainey Taylor. Agreed. Yep. (laughs) We're both big fans. She has a number of series, but my two favorite of hers are Daughter of Smoke and Bone and Strange the Dreamer. So yeah, just great, great world building. Joanna agrees. I do. Completely fleshed out. All the way. Yes. Immersive. Yeah, very mm-hmm. lovely. Another book I would recommend, which is a very classic fantasy, would be The Hobbit. And the reason I really like this one is I think he does a really good job of using food to ground the reader in a high fantasy world. And when I think of high fantasy, kind of an element I like to use to help ground readers in a world is something they're familiar with. And I think food is a good example of that. So universal experience. Yeah, exactly. So that, you know, early scene when all the dwarves come to Bilbo's residence, and they're all eating dinner. Every time I read that, I'm like, oh, it's just such a good way of feeling like you're at the table with them. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, we're going on this adventure. Let's do it. Uh, another book I think is just mind blowingly wonderful with world building I don't know if I've ever said this title out loud. Piranesi? Piranesi? I don't know, but I've never read it. I'm going to write it down. It's by Susanna Clark. And I, like, literally, like, mind blown. Like, I do not know how she created this world and, like, kept it all straight. And then on the page made you, like, not get confused. Like, very easily could have gone way over my head and I would have been like, I have no idea what I'm reading. But, oh gosh, it was just so beautiful. I loved it. And then my last one for the world building category would be any book by Erin Morgenstern. Uh, Her two being The Starless Sea 
And the Night Circus, specifically with the Night Circus, I think she does a really good job of using the narrative voice to describe the world. So the world is coming through the point of view of her main characters, which I love. Do you feel like those are, as far as fantasy goes, would you Mm -hmm. consider them literary at all? I would consider Susanna Clark and Aaron Morgenstern literary fans. I guess that's what I meant. I was talking more about um, Aaron Morgenstern because I think I agree with you. I think she does incredible world building. And sometimes I struggle with her books and I think it's because they feel kind of literary to me. Yes. Way long ago, I used to work at Barnes & Noble. We shelved her books under the fiction and not the fantasy section. Mm. So I think they are. Interesting. Yeah more literary, mm-hmm. especially the Starless Sea. Right, which I know that I struggle with literary fiction. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's smarter than I am. <laughs> there are definitely parts of those books that I just kind of, you know, I had to go along with and I, I was like a little confused, but I was just enjoying the ride so much mm-hmm. that I was like, yes. Right. And I listened to them both on audiobooks and they're also great audiobooks. But... What do we have next? Up next, we have Magic Systems. There you know, are a ton of books I could have dumped into this one, but one really stood out to me, and that's A Darker Shade of Magic by V.E. Schwab. Love that. Yeah. She just does a really good job of making it very like interesting and unique of how this main character kind of in her... I don't think he's like her mentor... I don't know, the two main characters, how they're able to travel to, like, the different Londons. Like, there's very – and maybe that's what it is. Like, the rules are very clear-cut and consistent. But it's also complicated. It is a complicated story in the best of ways. Mm -hmm. But that makes it even more important to get the rules right and make sure you're following the rules, right, so that the reader can understand. Yeah. And I think that's why I appreciate it. You know, I've read a ton of books, especially like kind of middle grade, witchy books are coming back, which I love, but where it's kind of like, oh, it's just like magic and magic is magic-y and like, you know, there's kind of rules, but it's like general magic and Mm -hmm. you ride brooms and have wands. Whereas like this, it's like her magic system is just so very specific Mm -hmm. to this world and I just really love it. I do remember, I believe it was Serpent and the Dove. Mm -hmm. I did love the cost of magic. If I'm getting the book title right. I read that book and I cannot remember. What is the cost of magic in that one? I think it's pain. Okay. And like blood you have to give. So, I mean, so this is vague and I'm not giving you a book to read necessarily. But I do think that magic systems where there is a cost to the use of magic is very cool. Mm -hmm. So uh, the next craft category we have would be books to read for good action scenes. A recent one I just finished is The Luminaries by Susan Dennard. She is really great. It has so many good action scenes. And I hear, I'm subscribed to her newsletter, which is fantastic. But I believe that she plots out her action scenes like storyboards for a movie and then writes from there. And you can totally tell. Like, Does she writing. have a screenwriting background? Do you know? I don't think she does. She's like, so used you, to be a scientist, I think. So does she draw them when you say storyboards? Is she drawing mm-hmm. the scene yeah. out and then describes what she's looking at? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another one is Lexicon by Max Berry and also Children of Blood and Bone by Tommy Adeyami. Mm-hmm. I'm saying um, I mean correctly. 
Both of these actually kind of start on action scene. So I would say they're a good examples of like introducing characters and world through action, like right from page one. Children of Blood and Bone, I felt like was almost a nonstop action. Just so much happens in Mm -hmm. that book. She definitely knows how to (laughs) do that. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so for the next craft category, we have books to read from multiple point of views. One of my favorite books in this category is The Girl with All the Gifts by M.R. Carey. Each point of view is so unique and brings a whole different perspective to the world that when you read each point of view, you come away just knowing more about this world that they're in and the circumstances and really like the stakes. So with each point of view you get, like the stakes get heightened throughout the novel. So really good job with that. My other example for this one is the Illuminae series by Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff. This is a really good example for a point of view from a character that is not a person, like their main AI has a whole point of view, and it's just really fascinating to read. I love this book. I know Joanna was so-so. <laughs> I think the format really I struggled with. Yeah. It is, I don't know, It is mixed format what they call it? It's mixed in letters and then the messages. I'm not mm-hmm. sure there's any part of it that is straight storytelling, like novel format. Is it? I think the main girls, like when you get their point of view, it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there's a lot of like logs, like ship logs. Lots of logs that have redacted material. Yes, where things are crossed (laughs) out and stuff. Yeah, so you definitely have to be a fan of that for sure. that was difficult for me. I will admit it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so our next category is voice. The first book that leapt into my head was Feed by M.T. Anderson, which is a YA story. And also The Knife of Never Letting Go by Patrick Ness, which is also YA. Both have just really distinct voices for like the world that the author has created. Patrick Ness, just in general, is amazing for dialogue. So if you ever want an author who just crushes dialogue every time, it would be Patrick Ness. Mm. And Joanne, I know you have a couple. Yes. I think that Lori House Anderson is amazing with voice. I think at first I had put this under mood, her novels, like, and I'm particularly speaking to Winter Girls for mood, but I think Winter Girls and Speak, she is, I remember when I first picked her up, I was just really struck by how much voice was natural for her. It doesn't feel voicey, if we all have the same definition of voicey, which we probably don't, but Voicey, I think, can sometimes be like almost too much voice, like trying to put too much into the character's voice, that it is so unique and different that sometimes it can turn some people off. It's just so natural, the voice that she uses for the characters and how it kind of drives her stories. And I also think that E. Lockhart is really good at voice. I've read a lot of her stories, and they are not all the same. They do not all feel the same. In particular, um, to all name, because they're so different, is Frankie Landau Bates. That's not the full title of that story. But, you know, Frankie is a high school girl at a boarding school, and she's outspoken and sassy and we were liars is 
just also kind of moody, but a very different feel. And I think her voice is just really strong in both of those. We Were Liars is one of the few books that I've like bawled at the end. (laughs) (laughs) I just like remember just sitting on my couch, just sobbing uncontrollably because it was uh, so sad, but the ending needed to be what it was. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great book. Yes. So the next category we have is mood. So books you read atmosphere. For mood. Would you say atmosphere and mood are the same? I would lump that in. Yeah, same thing. Kind yeah. of. Yeah. Have you read? You've read Raven Boys. I have read Raven Boys. Yes. Um, I think Maggie Stiebatter is really great with mood. Her stories always have a fantasy or sort of paranormal element to them, and they feel like you're living in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, some of her stuff is really different too. Um, All the Crooked Saints. I believe is the title mm-hmm. is really quirky and not at all the same kind of mood, but she creates it. And the Scorpio races is also a very different fantasy mood. You know, it's almost as if she picks a mood she wants for the story and that's different for each of the stories she's telling. And she just infuses the book with that sort of mood. Yeah. So you like come out of the story and you just feel that way kind of, right? You're stuck in that mm-hmm. in that space. To some yeah. Extent. Like she goes all in mm-hmm. like, yeah, for Scorpio Raises, I think it was based off of a real island. I can't remember I'm not sure. which one, but I'm like, she must have lived there for 30 years <laughs> and like done the most immersive, like behind right. the scenes author discovery. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> And I mean, to some extent, she might consider that world building, right? But that atmospheric mm-hmm. mood of the story but I think is pervasive. Mood is a deeper level of world building that mm-hmm. not a lot of authors can feeling, pull off. The yeah. feeling, the emotion behind the world or, you know, like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's great at that. Another author I'd suggest reading for Mood is Nina LaCour, particularly Watch Over Me. She'll come up again later, but... The novel Watch Over Me is sort of a ghost story, and the mood that she sets feels spooky, but not spooky. But, you know, are ghosts your friends? Are they not your friends? Like, what are you kind of running from? Um, It feels very much like that. The same sort of mood as that novel is We Were Restless Things by Cole Nagamatsu. Apologies if I'm pronouncing that wrong. There's also a aspect of a setting that kind of is a character and thinks on its own and um that mood of that situation is really strong in her book so the next category we have is plot yeah so for plot one of the things that struck me when i read lee bardugo's six of crows duology was her plotting Kaz is behind most of the plotting and he knows what's going to happen, but it's not even always on the page. We don't always know what's going to happen. The other characters always kind of seem like they didn't know what he had planned and it went to his plan, but it didn't seem like it went to plan. And somehow she does that flawlessly without us feeling like we don't know what's happening or why it's happening the way it is. I would say, too, for her, for Lee Bardugo, particularly with that duology, that you can learn a lot of a lot of different craft things um, from that as far as like character building and setting as well. Yeah, my plot example is The First 15 Lives of Henry August by Claire North. So this is a little bit of a Groundhog Day plot where you have these characters who keep repeating their lives over and over. So this would be a good example if 
you want kind of a plot that is not just like the straight, like beginning to end plot. I think another example of like this type of plot done really well is Before I Fall mm-hmm. by Lauren Oliver. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I was blanking that for a moment. So yeah, so those kind of plots where you could easily fall in the trap of like, this is so boring because I'm reading the same thing over and over, right. but the plot only gets stronger as mm-hmm. they're reliving these mm-hmm. moments. So yes, definitely if you're writing a Groundhog Day type, those are good for that. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the next category we have is emotion. So Books we would recommend reading that have good emotion. So to me, this is the kind of story where when you're reading it and you put the book down, you feel the emotions that those characters are feeling and you cannot shake them off like some other stories. So I think that Laurie House Anderson is great for this. I have not read every single one of her books, but I would venture to say that that's true for everything she writes. I'm going to bring up Nina LaCour again with We Are Okay, Hold Still, and Yerba Buena. I'm going to now go in prepared (laughs) to feel emotional when I'm in her stories. And not emotional, but just to lose control of my own emotions because (laughs) I'm going to feel what they're feeling when I come out of it. And um, The 100 Years of Lenny and Margot by Marianne Cronin is a lovely, lovely story. And I'm not sure that it, I would say that you, well, you will feel emotional because of that story. I'm not sure. It's just, there's a lot of emotion in there and she does that really well in kind of a different way, but. Mm -hmm. My example for emotion craft book would be A Monster Calls by Patrick Ness, which I think is pretty much a perfect book. If you could say there was a perfect book. I, I read the paper book first and I cried. And then I got the audiobook, which is narrated by Jason Isaacs, who I just love as an actor. And I cried as I was driving. And then I watched the movie and I cried in the theater. So yeah, I just <laughs> always cried with this story. It's just so, so beautiful. So cleanliness, if you are looking to read a fiction novel to see how cleanliness has been done very well. I would suggest Adrienne Young, particularly the Fable duology, um, but other things by her too. The Fable, I feel like is, I mean, it's fantasy and yet it's not really long and there's a lot packed in there. And she just is really great about this is what needs to be here and everything else isn't worth being there. So clean, fast. I think it's a, I don't know if you would agree with me, but I think it's a really great entry for people into fantasy who struggle with fantasy sometimes because there's so much that, you know, I see a lot of times on like bookstagram, people want to try a fantasy novel because everyone's talking about it, but they can't keep track of the characters or the world building. It's just too, they're just not, they're not used to that. Um, and they don't like it. I think fable is a great entry point because it's so clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agree. So my clean book, like every word is working, is Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. For Neil Gaiman, it it is short, like he can write very long books. But this book, I believe is his best work. Like it's just short to the point, beautiful. I do love that one. Yeah. I think I've tried to read some other stuff of his and I'm not sure how far I've gotten. I I haven't tried real hard, but I do love that one. Mm Mm-hmm. As far as relationships and relationship building, I mean, some of this stuff I think of because as I read the book, I was like, wow, she's really good with relationships and relationship (laughs) building. I wouldn't have gone in looking for that in anything. 
But The Bird and the Blade by Megan Bannon, I just thought how she developed her relationships slowly, but yet very compellingly. And it just really, really worked well. Yeah, my example for this one is Cersei by Madeline Miller. I think this is a good example of you have this character who I she is immortal, right? Cersei's immortal, mm. or is she half or immortal? or long enough that she might as well be. <laughs> yeah, so she lives a very long time and goes through just tons of you know relationships over the course of her life, and they're all just so well written how they come and go and the flow and like Cersei's reaction to everything and yeah, very good. It's a great book. Yeah, mm-hmm. another aspect to read for if you are looking to write a villain point of view, which again is not something I would have gone searching for. But when I read them, I was like, wow, these work really well. Um, Our Vicious and Vengeful by V.E. Schwab and The Shadows Between Us by Trisha Levenseller. The villain points of view are just, they are what they are. They're villains and they're not going to apologize for it. And somehow they do it in a way that you, I mean, I would say they're likable, but if barely likable, they are at least convincing. And you're like, yeah, okay, let's go on this ride, you know? (laughs) And I think that can be really tricky to write. Yeah. I haven't read either of those and now I definitely want to. The Shadows Between Us is YA and it's not super long and Vicious and Vengeful are, those are two books, it's a duology, Mm -hmm. um, are adult. And they're totally different, honestly, from each other. So, but yeah. And another, as we were talking about with Luminae, I do struggle with different formats, unique formats, you know, diary entries or text messages or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and that does kind of transfer to inverse novels for me. I struggle with poetry and I struggle with novels in verse, but I think that Blood Water Paint by Joy McCullough and Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds are brilliant, easy to read, even if you aren't into that genre in the first place. So if you're trying to write something in verse and you want it to be accessible, as easily accessible as possible for everyone, those are great, great examples. Yeah, my example is, we have mentioned her many a times, uh, is Shout by Laurie Haas Anderson. I mm-hmm. thought was really done. And Jason Reynolds, I've read a number of his other books. He's he's really excellent at mm-hmm. this. So yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's all we have for this special bonus episode. If you're interested in checking any of these books out, we recommend getting them at your local independent bookstore or library, or you can get them at a Novel Endings affiliate bookshop.org shop, which will be linked in the show notes. Thanks, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of a Novel Ending Podcast. If you're a fan of the show, please help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review and by sharing this episode with your community. And make sure to check out our website, anovelending.com, to learn more about what other services we offer. Happy revising!